featuring the latest advances and current perspectives on an under-discussed but critical aspect of patient care. Welcome to Sexual Medicine and Health on ReachMD XM160. Sexual Medicine and Health is sponsored by Zestra from Sempre Laboratories. Here is your host, Dr. Maureen Willihan. Managing patients with cancer can be a challenge. Although doctors think the most important focus is survival, your patients believe that without sex, life may not be worth living. You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Sexual Medicine and Health. I'm Dr. Maureen Whalahan, your host, and with me today is Dr. Michael Critchman. Dr. Critchman is an OBGYN and is the medical director of sexual medicine at Hogue Hospital and the executive director of the Southern California Center for Sexual Health and Survivorship Medicine, both located in Newport Beach, California. He is associate clinical attending at the University of Southern California and University of California, Irvine. He is the former co-director of the Sexual Medicine and Rehabilitation Program at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. He has published four books. His most recent is titled 100 Questions and Answers About Breast Cancer, Sensuality, Sexuality, and Intimacy. Today we're discussing the management of sexual complaints in the breast cancer patient. Welcome, Dr. Critchman. Hi, how are you? Good. So let's just talk a little bit about who the breast cancer patients are these days, because in my practice, it seems like they're younger and younger. I would agree. We used to think that cancer is a disease of the older or menopausal woman, but we are now seeing with good diagnosis and diagnostic testing that we're seeing a huge variety of ages being diagnosed earlier and earlier. So I would agree with that. I think that for me, in my center, we're seeing younger women who are being diagnosed earlier with less aggressive treatments in order to cure or keep disease at bay. And do you think that any of this earlier diagnosis is due to better diagnostic modalities like digital imaging and MRIs? I certainly believe that part of the issue is improved diagnostic skills in terms of being very aware of the techniques in terms of mammography and other advances in terms of screening. But I also think that another important issue that we often neglect and underscore is that women are becoming more empowered themselves and they are really understanding about their own health and their own medical issues So women are seeking care. They're actually trying to reprioritize a variety of different things that are going on in their lives and really understanding that they have to be part and parcel in terms of getting the care and the diagnosis and getting the assessments that they need given their ages and their risk factors. Right. So let's begin with that patient then that's had her imaging and her biopsy, and unfortunately she's given the diagnosis of breast cancer. And so she then goes through her treatment, which is either a lumpectomy and uh, radiation or a mastectomy or whatever, based on the recommendations of her team. And now she shows up in your office because lo and behold, there have been so many changes in her life, hormonally, body image-wise, the drugs that are used to treat her both acutely and long-term. And now she arrives in your office. What are you going to do? Maureen, I think the most important thing to remember is that what I will call survivorship medicine or what is really about living with cancer is really the last phase of the cancer care. So you have the acute, what I will call, you know, the echo phase when you're sitting across and you're saying, you know, I can't believe that. I'm young, I'm healthy, I eat right, I exercise, and you're telling me that the biopsy was positive. 
then we, you know, we tend to send women on what I will call the task phase. You know, you go from chemo to radiation to surgery to labs to you're meeting a variety of doctors. That stage is really accompanied by this concept of bring somebody with you because you're going to be overwhelmed. And you're really just focusing on keeping your head above water. And that is really your task phase. And then if you think back, it wasn't too long ago that we were having parties in the chemo unit and saying, you know, you're done, you've completed all your therapy, and go live and be a survivor. But no one really gave people the tools or understanding what that means. So I think it's important to understand that what we do as cancer providers and certainly has far-reaching tentacles and far-reaching effects on the woman. What's important to understand is that we've gotten better at diagnosis and we've also gotten better at treatment. So that certainly will affect women. And now we're actually seeing a lot of women that are really asking a lot of the questions before treatment actually even happens to know what their quality of life will be thereafter. So very often what we do will will assess the options. What have they undergone? And as I said earlier, we're getting better in terms of diagnosis and screening, but we also are less aggressive. We understand that we can dose chemo properly so women will not have severe side effects. We can actually put radiation directly at the site rather than radiating the whole breast tissue or the whole arm. We know that surgery, we used to, you know, the standard treatment was a radical mastectomy down to the bone, and now we're doing better and better with lumpectomies. So really assessing the treatment is the first step, and that will be in the, in the medical aspect. We also shouldn't neglect what the context of cancer has done to the woman herself as well as to the relationships. And when I say relationships, I think it's important not only to identify the intimate relationships, whether she is married or single, but also with her family, her friends, her work colleagues, because certainly those also influence how a woman will feel about herself and how she will further engage in intimate behavior as well. Right. And so a lot of times the body has changed drastically and the partner is not used to seeing a patient with one breast or where both breasts were removed and reconstructed, not quite the same as a breast augmentation might look. And so we have body image issues. We have medications that are causing ovarian failure, whether it be the chemo or the aromatase inhibitors that are used afterwards. And so now we have a whole host of problems that are presented to the gynecologist or the sexual medicine expert to say, how are you going to fix me? Because unfortunately, this group has some limitations in their therapy because of the very cancer that exists. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Sexual Medicine and Health on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Maureen Willihan, and I'm speaking with Dr. Michael Critchman, and we're discussing sexual complaints in the breast cancer patient. So, Michael, the patient comes in and she wants some treatment for pain with sex and low desire. Let's start with the low desire. Well, I think it's really important to tease out what exactly is going on. And that's the first and foremost. And as you said, you know, what we do in terms of inducing either chemical or surgical menopause, very often some breast cancer patients will have their ovaries surgically removed and they go into an acute menopause. And I always say that, you know, the younger you are, the harder you're hit when you go through menopause, and that's very concerning to a lot of women. I think primarily what we really focus on is really about the general health, maintenance, and wellness, first and foremost. So we want to really assess menopausal syndrome. 
We want to evaluate and treat, you know, menopausal concerns, hot flashes, vaginal dryness. I would certainly say that the dryness and the menopausal issues are first and paramount. My approach tends to be conservatively aggressive. What that will translate to the woman who's very often been very medicalized by the time she has the opportunity or even a moment's rest to even think about living with cancer is we try to empower her to make active uh, life changes. We want to really evaluate, you know, and go back to the basics. We want to see about diet, about exercise, about stress management, about time management. We also will do a variety of different things in terms of menopausal management. We will do anything from rhythmic breathing to yoga to acupuncture to avoidance of triggers. And then, of course, if these are not controlling the symptoms, there's always medications that you can use. Again, there are some concerns about certain medications because of drug-drug interactions, so you have to be sensitive to those issues. Same kind of concept with vaginal dryness, and I think it's important to discern that very often women will come in and say they have issues relating to desire, but if you tease out the questions and you ask more detailed issues, you'll really see that dryness is certainly an important facet. So my approach really is to address dryness. And again, I think it's important to kind of frame it in the same context, conservatively aggressive. There's over-the-counter moisturizers and lubricants. And again, I think you need detailed information because it's not just the -the run-of-the-mill lubricants or moisturizers. I think that women have to be educated that some of those products have additives in them that can be certainly harmful or burning. You know, we want women to avoid colors, flavors, you know, bactericides, spermicides, because they might have a very sensitive and vaginal lining and those additives may irritate. Again, the whole concept of minimally absorbed local vaginal estrogen with breast cancer survivors tends to be a hotly debated and controversial topic. I talk about this all over the country, and, you know, undoubtedly it's the number one concern. There are a variety of different camps that are very, very concerned about using these products, and then there's other people who say quality of life issues are paramount and the risk is negligible. So I think that remains to be elucidated in terms of the safety profile. And until we have a clear picture, I think it behooves us as healthcare providers in order to really start conservatively because a variety of women will actually be helped with really simple suggestions over-the-counter products. Now, I'm going to force you into a topic. Uh, It's actually an off-label product for women, but I get questions all the time about the use of testosterone therapy off-label in women. Breast cancer patients come in and ask for this. You know, if you look at some of the data, there was a great study out of uh, the Mayo Clinic, and it basically said that breast cancer survivors who were given testosterone who suffered from HSDD or lowered sexual interest really didn't have an improvement in terms of their scores or their decreased desire. So if you hardcore look at the data, very often you will see that there is no support in terms of testosterone improving sexual desire in this subset. And there's a variety of arguments. One is that they don't have estrogen and estrogen and testosterone work in concert. The other issue, which is highly controversial, is the safety of testosterone in these patients. And I have to tell you, you know, I'm still on the fence with that. The important thing to realize, I think, that breast cancer now is moving towards a better understanding of hormones. And what that might mean is it's not the absolute values of testosterone 
or estrogen or progesterone, it might be the ratio between all of those. We certainly know that lowering a woman's estrogen level to undetectable levels certainly has one effect in terms of breast cancer, but it also has severe ramifications on other issues, whether it's lipid profile, whether it's bone health as well. So the important thing to look at is, does absolute values translate into disease recurrence? And I think you can make a point on either side. I'd like to thank Dr. Critchman, who's been our guest today, and we've been discussing the management of sexual complaints in the breast cancer patient. I'm Dr. Maureen Willihan, and you've been listening to Sexual Medicine and Health on ReachMD XM160. Please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts, or you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to Sexual Medicine and Health on ReachMD XM160, hosted by Dr. Maureen Willihan and sponsored by Zestra from Sempre Laboratories. The preceding program was brought to you by Zestra Essential Arousal Oils from Sempre Laboratories to encourage discussion around the issues of sexual health and well-being. Estimates indicate as many as 43% of your female patients may experience lower feelings of arousal, desire, and ability to orgasm due to a variety of causes, including age, stress, disease, or even some medications. In fact, when asked in quantitative studies, as many as 72% of women said they would like an improvement in their sexual satisfaction. As healthcare professionals, you know many of your female patients have difficulty discussing sensitive and personal issues about sexual arousal, desire, and satisfaction. Part of your challenge is finding effective therapy options that are safe and that have limited, if any, drug-drug interactions or serious adverse side effects. Zestra Essential Arousal Oils is a safe, clinically proven solution with a five-year history of successful clinical use by leading sexual health practitioners. Additionally, in two placebo-controlled, peer-reviewed, published studies, Zestra's effect on desire, arousal, and satisfaction was statistically significant versus placebo with 70% of women, regardless of age, life stage, or health situation, experiencing improvement with no adverse events. Zestra is a patented blend of natural botanical oils and extracts that is topically applied to the clitoris and labia. It begins working within three to five minutes, peaks at 10 minutes, and lasts for up to 45 minutes. Most women experience an increased sensitivity to touch, which prompts greater feeling of arousal and improves their overall experience, including enabling longer latency and intensity of orgasm for many. To request free samples for your patients, see the Zestra Clinical Studies, or to download a podcast of this program, please visit ReachMD.com sexmed. Again, that's ReachMD.com sexmed. And thank you for listening.